Good morning. I'm going to try to get through Revelation for the end of the year. We started this book uh, a year ago this past January, and we've taken breaks for holidays and certain occasions. But here we are in chapter 16, and this book has been a challenge to me uh, as you plow through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, reading commentary, spending a long time in prayer, uh, seeking what it is God's trying to tell us through this book. We're getting towards the end. We read about the seals, the seven seals and seven trumpets. Now we're coming to the last of the seven bowls. And uh, this is stuff you don't hear preached about very much. We're talking about God's wrath and his judgment. So let's keep that in mind. As a way of introduction, one of the most startling statistics here in the United States, and perhaps you already know this, is that the U.S. prison population is over 2 million. Of course, this naturally leads to what some consider a controversial question is, why do we put people in prison? Law enforcement, district attorneys, and judges all work hard to bring criminals to justice. However, there is a disagreement What do we hope to gain by sending criminals to jail? Some people say it's to rehabilitate the criminal, to help them see the error of their ways, to educate them, to prepare them to go back in society as a law-abiding citizen. Others say the goal is to punish the criminal, to make them pay for what they've done, to deter the inmate and other potential criminals from committing similar crimes. And so others make a very good point that by putting them in jail, we're keeping everyone on the outside, you and me, much safer. When a person breaks the law, how should they be treated? How do you bring justice to the unjust? That's even a more important issue on a higher level of the justice of God. God's justice is perfect and is manifested through his judgment, his wrath on the unjust world. But but is God's justice on the unjust intended to rehabilitate, punish, or just get rid of them? How does God bring justice to the the unjust? And consider that question as we begin our walk through Revelation 16 where John sees a vision of God's wrath and justice. Look at verse 1 of our text. I heard a loud, a mighty voice from the temple. Now most will tell you consider this to be the voice of God himself, commanding the seven angels that are introduced back in chapter 15. What is he commanding them to do? To go and pour out on, or literally into the earth, the seven bowls of the wrath of God. They came out from the holy place, and now he's telling them to go out and to pour out these seven bowls of God's wrath. The first bowl is poured out, and it brings about loathsome and malignant sores. Now, the NIV describes them as being ugly and painful. Now, the Greek word translated loathsome there has a range of possible meanings. Corrupt, wicked, 
harmful. And of course, the Greek word translated malignant has similar possibilities, including unsound, evil. Clearly, these sorrows are both unsightly and agonizing, painful. Who's it happened to? Look back in verse 2. On the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. Those who accepted the mark of the beast to protect them economically and physically now discover the beast is unable to provide security for them in the face of the judgment and wrath of God. The same skin that took the mark of the beast is now covered with these agonizing, painful sores. It seems that God's judgment and justice is right on the mark. The punishment fits the crime. In short, they're getting what they deserve, what they're worthy of. They took the mark of the beast, they denied God, and now they are paying for it. Let's move on to verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. Every living thing in the sea died, or literally every living soul. Now, there is a debate about this, believe it or not. Did the sea actually become blood? Is the chemistry is the same as human blood? Now, some people will say, yes, it is, because a dead li- it's a blood like a dead man. They say it absolutely is like blood. It's exactly like blood. If you took blood out of a human being, it would be the same thing in the sea. Others say, no, it's like blood. Because you're using the word like in the text. Some people uh, point to what they call a red tide, which has happened places of the, around places of the globe. And it's killed marine life, but nothing on this wide of a scale. In other words, this is worldwide. We're clearly, whatever it is, I would contend that it's blood. That everything in the sea dies. Now think for a moment before we move on. What would happen to the uh, ecological order of nature when all the sea creatures were to die? Everything is going to have an effect here. Keep that in mind because look what happens next. The third angel right after him pours out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water. and They become blood. Now the entire population is at risk because... The source of fresh water is now polluted with blood. There is no fresh water to drink with. So fresh water to, or water period that you can water your vegetation with. The water supply is now gone. Now look at verse 5. The angels of the waters now... We can read in Scripture how angels are given authority over certain things. But look what the angel of the water says. Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One. His judgments are are being declared entirely just because they're coming from the One who has existed and has always existed as the Holy One. And His holy character mandates that His actions are just And true. Look at verses 5 and 6. Because you judge these things, they poured out the blood of saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink. Look at the last three words. They deserve it. 
that jumped off the page at me when I read, they deserve it. Now that word deserve in the Greek is used back in Revelation chapter 4, I believe, let me check, yes, verse 11, when it's describing that the Lamb is worthy of praise and adoration for what the Lamb has done, talking about Jesus. Let's think about this. Now, just as the Lamb is worthy of praise and adoration, they are worthy of this judgment in the same fashion. You, you swallow that where I'm going with this. They are entirely worthy of justice they receive. Now, if you're like me, you may sit back and say, well, that's talking to the people... In, in that moment, what they did, they killed the saints and the prophets. But then I thought of Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, the last part of verse 7, but the whole verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not to be mocked, forever a man sows, this he will also reap. I'm just going to throw this. I wasn't prepared to say this morning. I'm going to throw it out there. Are we as a country receiving what we have sown over the years? Is our society reaping the results of what's been planted into our culture and society over the past 10, 20, 30 years? You see, there's a tendency to believe that if people are innately religious, they demonstrate morality in some way or fashion. If they have a religion and pray, they're going to be safe in the judgment and wrath of God. Now hear me and hear me well. To the contrary, the only thing man's worthy to receive, people, human beings, you and I, the only thing that we're worthy to receive is judgment and the wrath of God because we're all sinners. It's only by the grace of God that we are saved. God doesn't owe me anything. Not one iota. But the reason we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, even though I deserve his wrath and mercy, he's made a way possible I can escape that wrath and to have a relationship with him in this life and the life to come. That's why we sing. That's why we are to rejoice. Because you see, justice involves getting what you deserve for what you have done that is wrong. If you break the law, justice demands that you get what you deserve. That's not just a human idea. It started with God himself. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin is missing the mark. That's what the word means. It means failing to do what God's commanded us to do. Failing to do what is right. God's justice demands that that has to be dealt with. Look at verse 7. From the altar, yes, O Lord, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. God's judgments are true and absolutely just. Without truth, how can justice be known or accomplished? Well, if you know truth, but you don't reveal it, 
That makes justice impossible. God's judgments both embrace truth and justice. We go to verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men, or to burn men, or people. That's the Greek word anthropos. We get our word anthropology from, which means man, mankind, with fire. The sun's heat is anticipated so much that everyone on earth is burned. Now, throughout the years, scientists have registered solar flares. What they will do, or potentially do, there's been movies made about this. You've probably seen them in recent years. But nothing of this magnitude, where the sun is literally burning people. Look what it says in verse 9. Men were scorched. They were seared with fierce or intense or great heat. They searched for shade to try to protect themselves from the destructive rays of the sun. Yet in their sweat and agony, they still are able to curse the name of God. Look back in verse 9. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power or control over these plagues. And they did not repent, or they refused to repent as to give him glory. All their suffering and pain, they still blaspheme God. They know what's causing all this. They attribute it to the act of God, yet they still refuse to repent, and they heap upon blasphemous names upon God. I, I, and their pain and suffering, they're still refusing to repent. It doesn't say so in the text, but I can't help but think if they were to repent, they could escape it. They would maybe die, but they'd be saved for all eternity. Can I ask you just a personal question? How much does God have to reveal himself to you to you believe that he is coming back? There is judgment. When's the church going to wake up to the fact that people without Christ are dying and going to hell? This is not playtime. This is everlasting life. This is forever. And yet we sit back oftentimes. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't make anybody mad at me. People, their eternity is hanging in the balance. Look at verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, or was plunged into darkness. Now since the beast essentially rules the entire kingdom, this is global. So they have sores, they've been burned or burning, and now Darkness. The result, look at back in verse 10. They gnaw their tongues because of pain. Now one might expect that from the painful sores or the scorching heat. Darkness by itself would not generally have such a result. Have you ever been in such pain that what gnawing means to chew on your tongue, literally? So much pain that you're just gnawing your tongue? God's wrath is being poured out. 
he is administering his justice. Look at the reaction in verse 11. Yet despite all this, they blasphemed or cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and yet they did not refuse to repent of their deeds. Almost like they're angry at God. Or their anger even builds up because of what's going on. I would love to go around the room if I had time right now. What's going in your mind? right? What, what, what kind of emotions are you feeling at this moment? We believe the Bible will be true, do we not? This is going to happen, all right? What should be our response to this text? What should we do with it? For me, it tells me I need to have more compassion. Everybody I come across every day to share with them by what I say and how I act and behave that they see the gospel. Before it's too late. God's holy character mandates that his actions be just, fair, impartial, and true. Therefore, his justice is perfect and is manifested through his judgment. And no one will be able to escape the justice of God. Please hear me. Don't fool yourself. Don't let the world fool you. If you're just a good person, you'll be okay. Well, it depends on how you define the word good. Even Jesus say, why did you call me a good teacher? There's only one who's good, and that's the Father. We've done this test so many times. <laughs> I'm not, none of us are good. Ever told a lie? Here we go down that road again. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 tells us it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We are unjust. The only thing we are worthy of is to receive judgment. However, the gospel, the good news tells us we don't have to endure the wrath of God. We have a choice. Now, God never compromises his judgment for anybody, yet he has made a way for his justice to be satisfied. 1 Peter chapter 3, the first part of verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That's good news. We, we have a choice. We can repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died, gave his life so we could set, be set free by the truth. So we can lay down weapons and surrender to God. That's how God administers his justice. See, he wanted a way that his justice would be satisfied, but yet not, not compromise it. And he found out with his son Christ that Christ really came out of glory, wrapped in human flesh, born of a manger, lived a perfect life, 
went around ministering to people, doing miracles, teaching them, then laid his life down willingly, died on the cross, three days later, raised again so you and I can escape the wrath of God. Have we lost sight of that? We, we look at prison and we think people deserve to be there. I've heard someone say, I can't remember where I heard this, but prison is full of people who've taken on the devil by themselves and have lost. This humbled me this week is thinking, it's so quick I am to condemn somebody else. Reality, I deserve the condemnation of God. I'm nobody special. I, I don't have some secret. I'll tell you what it is. It's Christ. That's the answer. He is the answer. He is the resurrection. He is the life. It's not Jesus plus church membership. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus and paying tithes. It's Jesus. I am fully convinced if you give your heart to Jesus and you surrender all to him, everything else will be taken care of. Reminded me why I answered the call to ministry. Because I was tired of what I saw. That's why I went to church the first time. I'll share this, conclude up like this. The first time I went back, Jamie tried to get me going back to church, and I said, No, I'm going back to church ever again. Ladies, to be more specific, because she wanted me back in church, but she wasn't ready for me to be a pastor. But that's another story. And I remember sitting there holding Brooke, just a little baby at the time, back in 93, 90, actually this is 1998, and it's just a little thing, and I, I remember thinking how messed up the world was, and God spoke to me, he said, that's great, Tim, but you know my son died for you, what are you going to do that moment? Because I sense there is something wrong, but God pointed to me personally. My point in sharing that with you this morning is that you look around, we live in a very messed up world. But we know what the answer is, don't we? Jesus. And we, the church, have the mission to go out and declare to the four corners of the earth, Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's our job. That's our privilege. That's our honor. That God, that song, who am I that God would allow me to step in his pulpit, preach his word. And right now, God's calling some of you to do some things that you're not quite sure of. But he will equip you. But you have to answer. If you don't know who Christ is, if you don't know if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Then I invite you to come up here in a moment. And I introduce you to him. Perhaps there's things holding you back, some unconfessed sin, something in your life you need to be straightened out. When are you going to lay that burden down, as I told the kids, and head over to Jesus? The tension that you're feeling in your life right now, the pressures and the stress, is coming from that one area in your life where God is saying, quit messing with it, give it over to me, and let me take care of it. Or maybe he's leading you to join us here.
come alongside us, be our fellow workers in the gospel. We're not perfect. We're far from it. We're sinners saved by grace. And we love him and we love each other. In spite of all the problems we may have with one another, we still cling together. We love one another. We laugh with one another. We cry with one another. And yes, we get mad with each other from time to time. We do life together. So what is your response going to be? It's called the invitation. It's your time to respond to the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. You pour out so many blessings on us every single day. We take so much for granted. You're long-suffering, so patient. But we know a time is coming, and coming soon, that will cease to exist. The time for wrath and judgment will come. Only anything that will save us on that day is our relationship we have with you, the Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, dear God, begin with myself, that we take the calling on our lives seriously. That we will go out into a world that is lost in darkness and hurting. And share with them your good news. Warn them of the judgment to come. And then tell them the good news of grace and love or forgiveness that's made possible through the sacrifice of your son. May your spirit continue to move here among us. In Christ's name we pray.